Hi folks, welcome to the second part of our deep dive into Peter Zapfa's essay, The Last Messiah. To recapitulate, in the last episode, we discussed some of Zapfa's points on man's inability to confront consciousness and the terrifying questions of nothingness, meaninglessness, and annihilation that consciousness generates. This compels us to subject consciousness to a sort of diminishment or subtraction. The weight of consciousness is too heavy. Hence, we find and create all sorts of ways, all sorts of defense mechanisms to alleviate the burden of it. Zapfa outlines four types of suppression mechanisms. They are isolation, attachment, diversion, and sublimation. Isolation for Zapfa is the rejection of disturbing and destructive thoughts or feelings. He gives us the example of doctors. They have an eye to self-protection. They see only the technical side of their profession. There is no possibility that their encountering of a dead body will elicit any questions around nothingness or annihilation. Their technical training has ensured this. In our daily social life, we have several unwritten rules to conceal our existential condition from one another. We do this with children. They are shielded from the terrifying questions of existence. We preserve their illusions until they are strong enough to lose them. The mechanism of attachment operates by giving children and us a close sense of community and family. These bonds are designed to stave off cosmic loneliness through the security that relationships provide. Later in life, for the child as adulthood approaches, he realizes that these safe attachments are just as accidental and transient as any other. If an attachment does not take, the crisis may become life-threatening or result in what Frappe calls an attachment paralysis. Here, one clings to dead values and relationships that no longer have any real purchase in the life of an individual. The result is permanent insecurity. The civilizational heroes of our time are those that have set up a bulwark against the great dissolution of life. They help us build a certain necessity around our lives. Children, families, lovers, communities, all fortifications against the inexorable assault of consciousness against us. Inherited social and cultural institutions give us templates of meaning around and in which we build a basic identity. These templates create space for acceptable conscious activity enough to believe in some of our defenses and lies, but not enough to liberate consciousness towards meaningfully engaging with questions around our existential condition. Frappe argues that our personalities as a result have stopped developing. They rest on the inherited cultural foundations of these templates, God, the church, the state, morality, destiny, the laws of life, and so on. For Frappe, the closer a norm lies to the template, the more dangerous it is to disturb it. 
we have built elaborate logical superstructures around our templates of meaning. When one superstructure collides with another, we see through the nature of our norms. We see that they are fictions. When the irrelevance of one norm is detected, there is an immediate need to replace it with another. This is the basis of all conflict in human history, states Frappe. Norms lie across a great chain, all designed to bind life inside an enclave of redacted and limited consciousness. Some nodes on the great chain of normativity play an especially important role in limiting consciousness, redacting it or subtracting it. When one of these nodes crack, there is a break in the chain. What induces it? When the limits of our norms are tested by personal behavior, mild swearing, social drinking, vulgar behavior, through these behaviors, the binds of the great chain are slowly released. Once they snap, well, it is at this point that an abyss of hell gapes at us from below. In other words, we are being released from our social conditioning. The major templates of our culture and civilization can rarely be changed without causing a major social spasm and a threat of total social disillusion, as during the Reformation or a revolution. At such historical junctions, the great chain snaps, and individuals are required to rely on their own inner resources. And there are few who can manage it. Depression, riotous living, and suicide are the result. Frappe cites the behavior of German officers during World War I to illustrate this. Devastating inner conflict can also arise when logical superstructures collide against one another. There is a clash of values that can induce catastrophic inner conflict in an individual. Logical superstructures, it can be inferred from the essay, for Frappe are complex forms of social reasoning designed to legitimize the social meaning that we attribute to our lives. In other words, they are complex systems and they use the language of law, jurisprudence, legislation, bureaucratic governance, all designed to codify the social meanings that we use to give order to the inner and outer structure of our lives. For Frappe, uh, local logical superstructures are defenses against the terrifying immobility of annihilation, insignificance, and futility. They are terror management systems. Where does one find oneself when an inherited superstructure becomes incomprehensible through change? What are we when all that held us together is no longer recognizable? When we are released from the great chain, we find ourselves embracing wanton destruction, a lust to dismember everything. We embrace annihilation by embodying all its destructive properties. 
we love our attachments because they save us, but we hate them as well because they hinder our sense of freedom. When we feel strong enough, we take up the destruction of these attachments with limitless zeal. The history of our revolutions are expressions of man's freedom to escape the great chain. All the while, through his rebelliousness and demolition of existing superstructures, he begins the simultaneous creation of another one. Even the most destructive of insurrections will seek to establish some sort of ground over the abyss. The third mechanism of defense is diversion. Here we remain distracted by endless streams of impressions. This is typified in the child stating that he or she is bored and that there is nothing to do. Extending this to understand the behavior of adults, Prophet states that as adults, we constantly distract ourselves because lying outside the door of distraction is the unwanted guest of despair and annihilation. We have built an incredible array of devices designed to induce distraction and are always in a state of operation. We have built all sorts of fail-safe systems around them to ensure that they always work and that they are always within reach. So powerful is the crippling terror of despair. Take imprisonment, for example. All distractions are withheld from the prisoner. Therefore, Frappe states that they are constantly on the edge of despair. The prisoner is alone with his soul in the universe. There is nothing else for him to see but the categorical impossibility of existence. Few people, argue Zapfo, can survive meaninglessness. They cannot comprehend meaningless changes in their jobs, social life, or a general change of situation. We demand some sort of continuity, direction, or progression. Our personal and collective ambition to achieve is never to achieve anything. It is just the desire to overstep limits, to demand more and more from life. This is in fact just a restless yearning, one that finds its direction not towards the object of its fascination, but towards the sustenance of movement, the longing to be saved from something. And it becomes evident that this is exactly what defines the religious experience if we use the word save or salvation. Nobody has ever been able to articulate what it is that people desire for in religion, but it is abundantly clear what they are attempting to flee from, their unsustainable existential predicament. In this sense, religion speaks to a vital human need. It possibly does so in a way that no other system of social meaning can achieve. That being said, it does not say much for the actual confirmation of God's existence. More importantly, what Frappe implies is that some sort of union with God would not ameliorate the need for our species to constantly aspire towards higher states of achievement. Would it not be ironic that even in heaven, we would still harbor the desire to be saved from something? That we would still need to scale higher and higher to outclimb the perils of the void behind or beneath us? 
take the void away and we lose our essence. We lose everything. Heaven is no solution. The void will find its way to us. It will climb up to meet us. Not even the protection of heaven can insulate us from its terrors. Also, knowing what we are like, that we have a devastating fascination with our terrors, we will muster rebellion and create the conditions for its re-emergence, no matter how impossible. The fourth defense mechanism for Fratve is sublimation. Here, the agonies of life are converted into pleasures. We take the experiences of terror and turn them into mythic dramas or absurd comedies. The terror of the experience is dissolved and in its place are placed sophisticated pleasures. We do this before the terrifying experiences sink into us, before they take root, form, and shape. Sublimation only works, though, once the imminence of the situation has passed us. The example that Fratve gives us is the mountaineer. There is certainly no possibility of sublimation when he or she stares at their death. This changes, though, once the mountaineer is warm and safe. Only then can he or she relish their exposed situation. Fratve asks whether primitive communities can live without all these contrivances, all these defense mechanisms. Can they live in undisturbed harmony? They stand close to the biological ideal. Fratve does not entirely explain this, but based on what we mentioned in the first couple of minutes in the first episode, it could mean that such a people live fully in the play of nature's forces. They do not rebel against necessity, but accept its laws and integrate themselves fully into its expressions. Fratve states that we need to create some sort of a reconnect with our biological nature. This is achieved through an honest understanding of the limitations of our senses and the frailty of our bodies. We have become far too alienated from our own bodies, for they have become superfluous in modern society. In doing this, we are alienated from our essence. We might even call it a spiritual essence because it is so fundamental to giving us the sort of consistency that we need. Fratve states that we must begin to evaluate our use of technology through the effects that it has on our essence. He also states rather acidly that technological innovation is a sort of larceny because it robs individuals of creative human and spiritual expression. He gives the example of using an aircraft to map a territory. In one fell swoop, the tremendously rich possibilities for others' expressions are destroyed. Biologically natural possibilities that fulfill us experientially are increasingly being lost. All the technologically saturating diversions that we have built are indicative of this. Fratve argues that our traditional attachments are not in great shape either, whatever they are, religious, social, or cultural. They have been bored into by criticism and cynicism. 
We may try to construct new versions of old defense mechanisms, but Framfe does not think that they will be useful. They will only lower our consciousness and, as stated earlier, cannot adequately protect us from both intrusions of the void and our curiosity with it. The takeaway from all this for Frappe is for us to reject the assumption that we are biologically ordained to conquer nature. No alleviation for our condition can be found through such an, an assumption. We must rethink our need to look for messiahs and also rethink our need to fanatically fumble towards hallucinatory dreams of salvation. We must embrace the inevitable conclusion of life. In doing so, we can assuage the pathological anxieties that are the result of such an awareness. That beneath all of life is a trapdoor, under which lies certain and utter annihilation. We must not deny it. We must never deny it. We are part of the great stream of life. In this flow of existence, there is no resistance, only a peace that we too are part of it. This is the last Messiah, the human being who accepts the laws of necessity and who is all too comfortable seeing the mark of annihilation everywhere. Such a mark is not a scar on our consciousness, but a beautiful and ennobling representation of our transience. Thank you for listening to this episode. We look forward to seeing you in the next one. If you ever feel the need to reach out to us, give us feedback or just say hi. You can reach us at deepdivebooks84 at gmail.com. Cheers from all of us at the Deep Dive Podcast.